0: Hey, I'm Roberta Plevins, and this is Life After MLM, a podcast where we worked and the stigma of failure in an industry systemically designed for you to fail. Join us as we dive into the real-life stories of survivors, experts, and advocates as we debunk the common myths and fallacies of cults, frauds, scams, and multi-level marketing. Join us for a month of holiday magic with the stories and guests that you've been asking for. Happy holidays, Huns. Hey Hunbots and Hunbros, we have another great episode for you today. I have been really digging all of our guests lately and I hope that you are enjoying our conversations as well. This episode, um, we don't say the name of the MLM, but I think there are enough hints if you know MLMs that you would know what this MLM is. They uh, they don't sell juice, but you would think they do. In this episode, we talk about the COVID-19 pandemic and what it looked like to be in an MLM during that time. We also talk about your cult identity and healing once you get out. It's a really great episode, and you don't have to worry about content warnings. But I do want to talk about something right now that does heed a bit of a content warning because I'm going to be talking about S.A., So in the show notes, there's a link to an article. We actually talked about this on the Patreon on our Monday morning chit chat about EXP Realty and the lawsuit that they are in right now uh, because of sexual misconduct of their reps. There was a New York Times article that just came out recently. um, And when I went to go look at it, I was blocked by a paywall. And so I found a different article that had a little bit more information about the lawsuits. There are multiple and sort of what's going on. The allegations of the essay surfaced back in February of this year, and it's really concerning and unfortunate. But I thought it was something to bring to your attention if you are interested in reading about it. We did go through this article that I share in the show notes on the Patreon if you're interested in watching me read it and giving you my thoughts. Uh, But it is really triggering. I was triggered reading it, and it's just really sort of horrific It's not uncommon, unfortunately, and it's not a story that I haven't heard before, unfortunately. Um, But I do think that it's really important to bring up. Uh, Recently, when I was sick the last time, and I'm sick again, I've got this nasty head cold, so that's why I sound a little nasally. But when I was sick two weeks ago, I ended up watching the Boy Scouts documentary. I think it's on Hulu, Netflix, I'm not sure. But I watched the Boy Scouts documentary about the essay that was happening in the Boy Scouts and how easy it was for predators to get in and manipulate the system and harm people. And it really reminded me of this because MLMs are the same. There is really no oversight. There's no HR department. There's no recourse when something like this happens. And this sort of behavior runs rampant in these culty high demand control groups where there's an imbalance of power Uh, in the article it talks about how these agents were higher up in the pyramid and were basically promising these women that they would help them move up in the pyramid as well um, and using their power to abuse them and it's it's really really horrific but if you are interested in just learning more about it there is a good article in the show notes that you can check out. Other than that, enjoy this episode and we will see you next time. Welcome back to another episode of Life After MLM. I'm really excited. We are talking about an MLM today that we've never talked about before, I don't think. And we're not going to say the name, but I'll give you a little clue that this MLM doesn't sell juice, but their name would maybe imply that they do. So I'm going to welcome to the show, Brandy Hadfield. Welcome. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you. It's really great to talk to you. You too. Thank you. I've been kind of wanting to talk to you for a while. And I know that we had some discussions about getting on the show and you had some other things that you had to do first and all of your obligations are done. And so now we can chat and have this really great conversation. And I just I'm so happy that you're on the show. It's going to be a really good conversation. I think
1: it's funny because I watched life after LuLaRoe. Is that what it's called? No, Lula Rich. Life after (laughs) Lula Rich while I was still in like just towards the end. And I was like, I was really focused on the differences. Well, we don't—we're not like that. We don't focus on product. We don't have. So I was just like really—it was like the tail end of my cognitive dissonance. <laughs> but then it was listening to the podcast where it was like, "Wow, so
0: many similarities!" I'm seeing. Yeah. So you just recently left your MLM. How many months ago did you leave? How long has it been? I think like seven
1: months. It was May, so we're in November now. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, congratulations. How does it feel? (sighs) It feels really good. But there was a good amount of time, a couple of years where I was out, but lost and confused. And a lot of uh, the wake up process is pretty tumultuous, I think, for a lot of people. And it certainly was for me. But towards the very end, something happened that was kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back where i actually got called and told that i qualified for a trip to mexico and i was like are you fucking kidding me (laughs) Uh, i haven't done anything in over two years everything's been dwindling how the hell do i qualify for a trip to mexico that was when i said to my husband for real for real i'll do anything to replace this income. I cannot be on paper in any place in the interweb attached to this industry, if you wanna call it that. Wow. So I think that was a last ditch. My theory, (laughs) I could be totally wrong, but I never before in in the peak of my success was ever offered a free trip. So it felt like, was this the last ditch like indoctrination session? I don't know, it just felt so wrong and I could see how wrong it was, because I had not
0: been engaged for so long at that point. How strange. Well, let's start back at the beginning. You were with this MLM for about 10 years, you said, right? Well, you told me. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I was in and out. So it's like, when you put it all together, the most accurate way I could say is the better part of 10 years, because I got out and I came back in. But I started initially in 2012.
0: Okay. So where were you in your life in 2012 that joining this MLM seemed like a good idea? Yeah, I'm just doing counting on my fingers
1: the month, how many months old my baby was at the time, because that's where I was. So he's now 12. And he was a baby and I was on maternity leave. And it was coming to an end. The job that I worked at the time, my contract was a minimum of 50 hours a week. My personality, if it says a minimum, then I was always doing more than 50. I didn't feel right doing any less than 50 hours. My job required travel, which I knew that they would be willing to change. I knew that they wanted to keep me, but I have a very hard standard for myself. So I felt like I couldn't do the job the way that I had been doing it, and I couldn't face going back and not doing it the way I'd been doing it. Also, my son was one of those babies who woke up like every 15 minutes. He was what they might call a spirited or an orchid child or a highly sensitive. (laughs) There's a lot of names. So I'll just say he was a lot like a fairy tale where the beauty is so beautiful, but it's also so hard too. That's the analogy I use. So I couldn't imagine like how, and also financially speaking, daycare in downtown Toronto where I live, I don't know what it costs now, but back then I was looking at $1,800 Canadian, but still $1,800 a month for full-time daycare. And I was like, well, I'll only be spending so much more on the daycare than I'd be bringing home. So I'm just factoring all of these things in and I come to the conclusion like, that I want to buy myself more time with my son. And if I can just earn like $800 a month, then it would equal out to me putting him in daycare and what I'd be bringing home after that. So I was really stressed. And then I decided to get a certification to become a health coach because I was in the health and wellness industry. I worked for the head office for a large fitness club chain. So that was already the environment that I was in and something that I was really passionate about. So I thought, well, I'll be a health coach. <laughs> and I laugh because that's not so easy. Like people aren't knocking on your door asking for coaching. Like if there's a lot more to it, than an info session is going to tell you to prepare you to actually be an entrepreneur. But I was sold. Yeah, this could be my answer. So that's I'm not in the
0: MLM yet. But this is where the the journey begins. I mean, there are so many health and wellness MLMs, and we're even finding now that some of the beauty MLMs or some of these other MLMs that provide different services or products are also dipping their toe into the health and wellness and adding shakes and powders and supplements into their lines and really breaking into the health and wellness. It's very easy to become a health coach. Very big air quotes there. Because all you have to do is pay $99 and have a social security number and sign up on the website and then you're a health coach for this business and it really does muddy the waters for people who do have real health experience and really do want to help people. That's one of the biggest complaints I hear from people who reach out to me and message me and say, hey, this is the screenshot I got today. Look at this person. Like they're targeting me because I have fibromyalgia or they're targeting me because I'm on a weight loss journey or they're targeting me because of all these different health and wellness things. And it's really a problem. So I'm really glad that we're gonna sort of dive into the health and wellness side of your journey as well because that's a big red flag that I think a lot of people are seeing nowadays. Yeah.
1: So this wasn't the MLM. However, the person whose persona is attached to this credential also is in an MLM. So it can become a funnel. There's the potential for those who are spending actually thousands of dollars, which is what I spent on credentials, to then be pitched. What would later end up happening is I would become the golden child Because I am, like I said, so hardworking and always wanted to give my 110%. So I did all of the things I was supposed to do and more. And so I ended up being the person who, if someone was a health coach and they were curious about being a rep for this MLM, that I would be the person to talk to them because I was relatable and personable and I could flip them. And then they would become part of my downline, which I like to share because it was an unfair advantage that was not spoken and not known kind of like a bridge contract that nobody really knows like a dirty little secret it's like they wanted me so they kind of helped me out but i look at it all with jaded eyes as well it's very confusing (laughs) to look back on because on one hand I feel like there was a withholding and another hand there was maybe that's part of the manipulation is to make you feel indebted and to make you feel like you're getting advantages I'm not really sure but I know that definitely within my team there was a promise for example of getting leads once you got to a certain like free leads once you got to a certain level and I know that there were some people at that level not getting the leads whereas I definitely was and it was fuzzy well because you live in Toronto so there's more people but I was getting leads from like several towns over.
0: So I don't know how random that was. Were these leads just like prospects for customers or were they like prospects for team members as well? Both. Both. Okay. Yeah,
1: I would get both.
0: And were you ever stacked like someone gets somebody to sign and they're like, Oh, we're going to throw you under Brandy. She's this great coach. We're going to put you under there. And they're just literally giving you people who are ready to go hit the ground running. No, I was more stacking others. Okay. I was stacking other people. Okay. Try to build my structure. So you're great. You're getting all these leads. People are like, I want to join your team. And you're the one saying, oh, that's great. I'm going to put you under Becky. I'm going to put you under Sarah. But I'll still be part of your support because I know
1: we've built a relationship. So not to worry about that. Yeah, that was semi discouraged because I think they saw that those people that would get stacked would tend to not grow as much as they could have had they had that direct relationship is like, I don't know what happened. So it was semi discouraged, but also a blind eye was looked at it like, well, it's your
0: business. So if you want to do that, then you go ahead. (laughs) Well, hey, you got to place the bricks in the most effective place to build the best pyramid. That's just how it works. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you join, you're getting all these leads, you're stacking, your team is growing. How big did your team get?
1: Oh, geez.
0: I would say I had about 30, 35 team members in my organization. Okay, so a, a decent-sized organization. And were those all people that were personally sponsored by you? No, personally, That no, that was my whole tree. Okay, <laughs> we always talk about the percentages, right? How high you are up in the pyramid. Uh-huh. So what percentage in the organization did you make it to? I made it to the
1: 1.6%. So on the income disclosure statement, And I'm really second guessing my organization size, like was it 60 or 30? I'm not 100% sure. And I'm sorry, I don't know if that's like a disassociation. (laughs) (laughs) But I know that I was in the 1.6% because I recently looked at the income disclosure statement and I was flabbergasted at like how hard it was for me to understand having been in it for so long. But there would be two columns position so in one column I was in the 1.6% but in another column I was in the 11% and that column was like of the people in that position who are active versus of the people who are in that position who are many of them aren't doing anything I'm in the 1.6% so it divided up all of the positions and then how much people are making into two different categories as well per position. So there's a lot of information on that chart. But regardless, 11% or 1.6% for the amount of years and how hard like when I'm talking about stacking and doing all these things, this is like years after just like, really doing all of the things.
0: So was your team pretty good at sticking around? You didn't lose too many people and have to restack your team? I had a pretty good retention.
1: And I was very involved. Like, there was quite a codependency, I think, which it really, it nurtures that type of dynamic.
0: It really does. In the 1.6% mm-hmm. with 30 to 60 people, because we don't remember, and that's totally fine. <laughs> Both of those numbers are healthy numbers for an, an organization and an MLM if you're making money, right? Like that's a decent sized team. I think anybody could agree. What were your paychecks? What were your bonus checks like? My paychecks? Oh, I remember like when I
1: first started, it took several months of like really working like doing like I went to the very first conference I could go to. I was making the list. I was doing events, like I was doing everything it took me like several months to make five hundred dollars and that's Canadian. so that's like three hundred dollars American. And then I slowly over the span of a couple of years got up to like 800, that $800. And then I left because then there was this program, which doesn't exist anymore, unfortunately, but it was a business program that our government provided to certain individuals. And one of the qualifications was people who had been on maternity leave within a certain window that the government would actually pay you, match your former maternity leave benefits and you would get business school so you could go and learn how to create a business plan and it was a year-long program and i qualified but no mlms (laughs) big red flag and there was part of me that was like this is kind of my out like this is my out so i left, and i had a great scapegoat like i'm not allowed sorry because i did feel bad but then several years later when i went through a health crisis and other parts, there's always these vulnerable moments. I went back, I came crawling back. And then at that point I built faster that second time when I came back, I had much more gumption and I was super, super pumped. And I think that energy and plus social media was in a different place than it was when I originally got started back in 2012. So social media had really taken off and I was really utilizing that as a tool. And then it was like pretty quick, I got up to a thousand I got a hit comma club within that first year back, which is means I got a thousand dollars for a month of work Canadian <laughs> and that's like a huge milestone that's so celebrated that it really made me think I'm doing it like I'm doing it so much faster, this is working, I'm seeing the steady increase. When I left, I was at about three thousand dollars. This is now we're in mid pandemic and Things grew really fast during the pandemic for a multitude of reasons that MLM companies took advantage of. And then I, you know, I'm finally making a living wage, total blinders on in terms of what I'm putting out, (laughs) what my expenses are. So I'm not actually making $3,000. Let's get that straight. But that's what's coming in. (laughs) And then that's why it was so difficult for my husband when I had my like, I can't do this anymore moment. He was like, what? You gotta be fucking kidding me. Like we've been doing this for how many years? Now you're actually making money that's making a difference. I understand how he felt. He understood how I felt. It was really tough. Yeah. Really tough. He had been so supportive
0: So let's talk about when you left the first time, what was the driving force for you to decide to leave? Well, because the first time is because of that
1: business program that I qualified for, I needed to make some money. Like, (laughs) I needed to actually make some money. And my friend had told me about this program. And I'm like, well, that's sweet. I'll actually guarantee that I'm making a certain amount of money. And I'm going to get training
0: to actually
1: start the business that I wanted to start, which was coaching.
0: So there wasn't any like bad blood, there wasn't any Anything weird, you just saw really great opportunity. And one of the side effects was that you can't be involved in this type of business. So you're like, okay, bye. Yeah. So there wasn't like, oh my God, I'm in a cult. I'm in an MLM. It just was like, I can't do these things simultaneously.
1: And it was also the little niggly feeling that you have where you're like, I just did this event. It was super awkward. Just all of those terrible moments that you're like, okay, this is fun and I get to do this and you're putting on this persona that you're supposed to put on to attract people. But deep down, what you're pushing down is these like kind of cringy feelings that you're getting for the cringy work that
0: you have to do. Right. So then what was the driving force of deciding to go back a few years later? Were you just because you hadn't left for like a traumatic reason? You were like, Oh, this is a way I can make money again. So, I had my second son. He was two, and
1: I was going through like a mysterious health crisis. I felt like all these aches and pains, and exhaustion, and high anxiety. I developed some bad habits. I just wasn't taking care of myself the way that I had in the past, and I felt it. And I felt scared. I felt like I think that there's maybe a scary diagnosis around the corner and I want, you know, I want to be around for my kids. And I asked my mom, like, is it normal? Like, is it just like an age thing that if I clean the house to feel like absolute shit the next day and feel sore all over? And she's like, no, that's not normal. And I'm like, oh, okay. So then I ended up seeing a naturopath slash nutritionist who put me on a protocol and some supplements, not the MLM supplements, different supplements. She had said that there was adrenal fatigue and leaky gut and these different things from our assessment. So she put me on a protocol and it was like 28 days of sticking to it and I felt amazing. I had a consistent energy, I felt like a new woman. And I was like amazing, but a couple bad things happened. <laughs> One was I lost so much weight that I stopped getting my period. And I had this rash that like an itchy rash. So then I was like, okay, I kind of traded overall. I felt better, but I, now I had some new problems and then we were trying to figure out those, like trying to work on those issues. And it wasn't simple. It was difficult. And I was really struggling. Like I was waking up in the night itching my neck. So then I thought, okay, like I'm, I'm trying everything. It's like having a newborn baby. How often I'm waking up, I can't survive. Like, and then I was like, I should get back on the supplements that I was taking before. I haven't tried that. I felt really good back then. So then I got my hands on some, like through a friend who I knew was selling it. Like, can you bring some over? And then the rash cleared up and I'm like, Oh, it really was magic. I had these doubts in the back of my head, but this is proof it's a miracle. (laughs) I have to also say though that during the pandemic, that rash did come back. I ended up having to go to a dermatologist. So whether it was a, who knows, maybe I needed a boost of nutrition and it gave me that. Maybe, you know, taking a bunch of smoothies and following the protocol, my calories enough. So I got my period back, whatever. Could that have been accomplished in other ways? For sure. I think in retrospect, because I now know that you can have good health without the magic beans because that's where I am today. Right. So also a practitioner that I was working with recently said, it could have also just been like where you were at hormonally and depleted after breastfeeding for so long that like it's something called regression to the mean where things just tend to get better over time. So who knows, but the unethical thing is that these MLMs train you to make every good thing that happens to you no matter what it is all go back to this so yeah at first i was really excited but then every single good thing in my life was a testament to the community and the products
0: and then like you're even more hardcore into it because you had a good experience the first time around the second time around it cleared up that pesky rash your period comes back you're feeling better you're like oh my gosh it's magic it works It's the pandemic. So you've got this built in community when everybody's locked in houses and can't really do anything. 100%. I could see how you could just fall right back down into that rabbit hole all over again.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: So let's talk about being in an MLM during the pandemic. A lot of people come on the show, they talk about Either, you know, the great awakening, they figured it out, or they got even deeper into things. So sometimes both. So let's talk about your experience in an MLM during the COVID-19 pandemic. Oh, my gosh. So
1: <laughs> I just flash back to this terrible, terrible memory. So one of the things that I recently wrote about in my Substack was about mental health in MLM. I gave one anecdote, but there are a lot. There are a lot of terrible things that happened mental health wise that I saw happen to other people or whatever. And one of them was during the pandemic, like right before the lockdown, right before, like, okay, school's not going back in, the world is in a state of emergency, that whole, like, you know, around the time when people were just talking about it still and everything was kind of normal. Somebody had been recruited onto my team through the internet, which is where a lot of people got recruited into my team was through the internet. So from random state, I don't know, this person had been discharged from the army with post-traumatic stress. So they were in a pretty fragile state. And this is something that really pisses me off in retrospect is how MLMs just Sink their fangs into these vulnerable situations. And we unknowingly are thinking we're the perfect answer at this perfect time. And I know you asked me about the pandemic, but I just flashed onto this pandemic moment. So she was immediately love bombed on Facebook and all of the stuff. And she was really beautiful and talented. And then something turned. And I don't know what happened, but as she was being onboarded and watching the videos, it seemed like something snapped and she became unhinged. And there could have been many things happening in her life. I do not know, but we were not trained to deal with that with like off the wall, Voxer trauma dumping and you're pressing play and your kids are in the room, Facebook lives that are like, Oh no, Oh no, she's not okay. And right as I'm packing up my family to get in the car to drive, get at a dodge to go to the cottage because we're in the city and we're scared and we're like, we just need to get away. At that same time, I'm dealing with this unraveling. and I'm like trying to keep my kids feeling okay that everything's okay. and I'm not qualified to deal with a mental health breakdown. and it's like there's no human resources, there's no, so you just, it's handled so sloppily and insensitively where the person just gets cut off and blocked and cancel and they're not on the team anymore. Bye-bye, they're gone. And it's like, well, what happened? Why did that happen? So that's, you know, one of the many things that will probably bother me for the rest of my life is not knowing what ended up happening with that particular person. When the lockdown and all of that happened, it was a real, like, I think, opportunity to engage us so there was a lot of you know everybody was talking about government conspiracy and all of this stuff so that was a big part of I think I would challenge to find an MLM that wasn't like taking
0: advantage of people's doubts and worries and all of that during that time Oh yeah, I mean, the DSA themselves reported over a fifty percent increase in people joining and supporting MLMs during the COVID pandemic. It mm-hmm. was like fifty four percent increase or something. They knew that people were going to need things. It was wild. I remember uh, making graphics like "Don't prey on people during a pandemic" and things like that. The FTC sent out hundreds upon hundreds of letters to companies saying, "You can't do this." You can't prey on people financially or health wise during a global pandemic, like you can't do that. I mean, you shouldn't do it at any time, but you especially shouldn't be doing it now. And to hear it from somebody who is inside, who experienced this, who felt the ick of the way that people were being treated during this time. It's sad that it's exactly what we expected, but you know, it is definitely what was happening hmm At first, like I didn't like how that situation was handled. And I was like,
1: that was something that took me a while. Like I really felt, I really believed evangelically in our mission, which is literally what it was called. <laughs> I really did. But I knew that something was wrong with that situation. And it wasn't so much she wasn't really preyed on pandemic wise. She was more preyed on in her vulnerability as a PTSD, like, you know veteran, veteran, yeah, how it all went down and ended it just sat there like a big question mark in my mind. And then as time went on, and I could see the whole situation again, through new lens, and like, how that actually should have happened, why she may have had those reactions. Now that I'm in school, back in school for psychotherapy, I'm like, Oh, wow, I can see how our onboarding and our messaging could be really harmful. However, during the pandemic, I really believed in our mission of providing an answer, community, immune support, and the conspiracies around, you know, whether or not to actually take it seriously is this, uh, you know, just all of the different like stories that were going around was really, what's the word, like leveraged or, and I could see how that would be really advantageous for an MLM because if you're feeling like you're part of the secret inner knowing, and plus you've got like medical professionals, highly credentialed, highly educated people who are all buying into this, who are all part of this, then you're like almost part of a secret society. And you feel like this false sense of safety and security.
0: And identity.
1: Yeah. And I think like really been digging into my own psychology and for me, the big draw was that there were these healthcare professionals that I could have in my back pocket. And I want to know that I'm, you know, I think everybody wants to know that they're going to be safe, but I really felt that need for like a guarantee of health and longevity. And like, if I could have a miracle in a community of like really highly respected people, then I felt like I had that. And it relieved my existential anxiety, but it was false. And then that's what I've had to heal and work on. is like the underlying, like what drew me in deep on a deep level.
0: I mean, I think faith plays a huge part in MLM success and a lot of things with success, right? You don't have an answer. You can't really see the finish line, but you have faith that it's there. You have faith that if you're a hard worker, you're a hustler, you're determined, you check all the boxes, you go to all the conventions, you make the lists, you call, you follow up, that you'll win. Yeah, I've got the checklist, I'm going down the checklist, I'm doing all of the things, I'm getting a community, I'm getting friends, I'm getting support, I'm getting people, I mean, an echo chamber, really. A very specific niched echo chamber for the exact thing that they're telling you you should believe, And then you're then turning and going, yes, I do believe this. And anybody else around you is like, yes, we also believe that as well. Mm -hmm. And it really creates a false sense of identity, a false sense of community. Yeah. This false sense of security in these what you have called fanatical groups, which I completely 100% agree with you on that. So let's talk about. Having our identity so closely tied to these fanatical groups like MLMs, cults, whatever the space you may identify in. Let's talk about that really deep connection and how you felt that in your MLM. Yeah. So
1: I think what, you know, when you look to the bite model, like behavior control, Stephen Hassan's bite model, which I think if anybody asks, because my husband asked this question can't there just be like a good group? (laughs) Can't that exist? (laughs) Like maybe there's a great litmus test though. (laughs) And that's the bite model or Janja Lalic's bounded choice model. So you just gives you a nice handy little, for a type A person like me, a little checklist to compare but one of the things that I thought was really fascinating about the Byte model was that all you have to do is change one area, behavior control, information control, thought control, or emotion control. And if you can successfully change one of those things, the others slide into place much more easily. And then that is how your cult identity is created. If we have this like daily method of operation and you're like, receiving this message that you need to be they, tell me if they said this in LuLaRoe, they touch your business every day?
0: Oh, I mean, not touch it. But we said, you need to work your business like a business every day. Okay,
1: Well, we were told that we should touch our business. So if you're touching, if you're touching your business every day, that's controlling your behavior. And you're taking your mental bandwidth because you're thinking about it every single day, seven days a week, 365 days of the year. And then the emotions, like, of course, with like, wow, you hit the comma club and all the celebration, which for me, I thought, well, this is like when I did employee engagement and retention back in my human resources days. That's how I was looking at it. But then a big thing I was turning a blind eye to was that, Those associates were making at least minimum wage. (laughs) They had an employment contract and they had me and human resources looking out for them and an employment law person. And like they had a team, whereas in an MLM, you don't. Your upline is supposed to be all of those things without any of the training.
0: I mean, with some of the stories we've heard on this show with horrific uplines, I would never want any of them to be the head of our internal human resources department. I mean, that sounds like a nightmare in the making. And it is interesting because MLMs don't have a human resources department. And that goes to protect the MLM and the employees. If there's any sort of conflict, human resources is who's going to sort of be the judge, jury, and executioner in trying to solve those conflicts. And when the person that's your human resources is your upline, who's you know, undermining you by talking to somebody behind your back and sending something over here and sending people that you don't like presence and really like triangulating to gaslight you and to manipulate you. Like, that's not a good place to be. Yeah. The thing is, though,
1: in our, you know, how every MLM purports to be unique and special. Ours was incredibly and still is, I'm sure, incredibly lovely. <laughs> There's a fallacy in that where you're like, well, those lovely God-fearing women would never ever do anything to harm anyone. However, if you look at the people who left and you look at how you're being told to block and all of that, well that's not very nice. but it's all framed in this very like we're just trying to protect you, we're just trying to protect your team. So I think within, I don't know about the whole company, but at least within our pyramid, within the pyramid, there's a lot of maternal vibe. Oh, okay. (laughs) Just putting that out there because that's one of the things that people could say like, "Well, well, yeah, the other MLMs can be really catty, but my upline is like my mom that I never had, she loves me. (laughs) Wow.
0: So in that frame of reference of being like a big, huge, happy family,
1: how fanatical was your MLM? So in a course that I took through the Lawlet Center called Unbounded Choice, where the focus was on religious studies, like from a scholarly perspective, And really, because a lot of people who've been in these, any type of cult, whether it's a doomsday cult or an MLM commercial cult, there's something that they all have in common. And also a big part of it is the complicated relationship with religion that you leave with. So even if you're in a commercial cult, I think a lot of people, I know one of my downline went on Julie Anderson's YouTube channel and she's Christian and she really messed her up. Because she felt like that was weaponized, that her faith was weaponized. So we all walk out with this complicated, for me, I wasn't raised Christian at all. It was my first taste of that life. And it felt really good to feel like people were praying for me and all of that other stuff. It was intoxicating. But I learned that all of these cult groups have a single story that they all share, which is that your community, your product or your answer or your system or whatever it is, your thing and your community will save the world, has the potential to save humanity. And that's why they call it a mission. And I would be told from, I remember feeling weird about the word mission, like something just felt off about it, but I felt like I was being negative or like, but my upline saying like, use the word mission. People want to be part of a mission. Just by her saying that in retrospect, looking back at it, reveals the manipulation. You're trying to provide them what they want, which is to be part of a mission. But then when you're reading books like Get Over Your Damn Self, which is a piece of shit. And she's using this formulaic advice and she's saying, your product is what everybody's. And I'm like, but wait, but she's talking to everybody who's in an MLM. I feel like such a dummy for saying this in retrospect, but I'm thinking, I thought we, but well, wait, I thought ours was the answer. <laughs> Not like shampoo or anything, that's just part of an MLM. And then
0: you just like, I'll just push that aside. That's my stinking thinking. right that's just stinking thinking you don't want that that's really interesting though the single story and i mean i want everybody listening right now to think back and to go back it's like the reverse why you're going back like what's the story well what does that mean well why are we here and honestly yeah like it all goes back down to we're here to save the world we have the one true answer scientologists are here to clear the planet right Christians are here to save souls and get Jesus in everybody's hearts and get everybody to heaven. MLMers have the answer to your problem. You have this illness? Well, my supplement can help you. You want to wear cute pants? Come check out my leggings collection. I mean, there are so many, quote, problems that MLMs, cults, whatever will solve. Because really, yes, we are just looking for more people to accept into the fold, into our fanatical group. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's true. Like, if you really think about it, think back to the MLM or the religion or the cult or the whatever that you were in. And when you get down to the nitty gritty roots of it, you pull those carrots out of the ground. One of those carrots, I mean, does it say we're going to save the world? Because it's true. I mean, when you really think about it, everybody has the ultimate answer for salvation. And they're treating it as if everybody is lost and looking for it. Yes.
1: And then, you know, the whole like thought terminating cliche is like, well, if they say no, if they don't know, because the famous doctor on our team, if a person went to their doctor, and their doctor said, No, I don't want you to take that, The response was if a doctor doesn't know and this is coming from a doctor if a doctor doesn't know they'll say I don't know so you read between the lines and what are you being told there you're being told that your doctor's an idiot and I'm the famous one so I mean that's just reading between the lines like what would you think if you said my doctor said no and a famous doctor said if a doctor doesn't know he'll say no right so
0: dangerous I think so much mind fuckery <laughs> do you know what I mean like oh, it goes yeah. back to this echo chamber and this cognitive dissonance when you're like but this is my family doctor of x amount of years like they've been with me through everything and they're telling me they know my medical history and they're saying No, oh, I don't think you should and then this other guy who you just met who's on the brochure he's mm-hmm. like if your doctor doesn't know then they're a loser. And you're like, oh my God, you're right. He is a loser. I should listen to you brochure, doctor. Because big pharma wants to keep you sick.
1: (laughs) And going back to the cult identity, like it goes hand in hand with the single story of like, you know, that became my identity. Because really, all I've known is that I want to make a difference and help people, which a lot of people who come into MLM are helper type people. But really, I felt that I was losing myself, like some really like big, important pieces to my identity were kind of just gone because they weren't of use here, which is why something like an inside thing just for me is how I curate my Instagram. I'm really like, it's like a reclamation of who I am (laughs) versus everything being about, coming back to the lifestyle that I'm attracting you to or pimping out my kids as I've posted about before. And I say pimping out because that was a word that was used in a coaching call that I had that I won. No. The suggestion was, yeah. So I'm just parroting that like quote unquote advice. Horrible advice. (laughs) So it's an awful thing to say. So I just want to say I got it. I got that verbiage (laughs) from a coaching call. So all of that, it was just, you know, this crafted identity to get to where the next carrot that was being dangled in front of me. And now it's like so liberating to just to A, actually know that I am on the path to making a difference and B, just doing what I want and protecting things like protecting my private life and just playing fun music and doing a dance. But you don't need to know what the fuck I had for breakfast today
0: (laughs) or what my kids are doing today or any, you know, like. Right. Or how many calories were in the shake or how many steps you took. It's not a necessary thing. You can live your life and live an authentic life without having to feel like you're on 24 seven.
1: Yeah, it really started to feel like that.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of us lose that when we're in MLM. We don't realize that we don't have to be on display 24-7 once we come out because when we're in, we're on. Everyone's watching. What did Roberta do? What did Brandy do? Well, what are they doing? What's happening here? Well, what's going on? Like everybody's so concerned. And you realize once you get out that it's like, it's just not like that like anywhere. It's very interesting. And I think that also one of the other things that you talk about on your Substack is the moral injury of all of this. And I think that's one of that is realizing that all of the things that you put so much time and energy and effort into, it's just kind of like bubkiss. It's really just not important at all. And you're just like, wow, like how much of my time and energy have I put into something that yields nothing?
1: Yes, yes. That's what really... Gets me enraged is when I think about, and I can't think about it too much, but when I'm like, "Where would I be had I not gotten all mixed up into this?" And I really thought that I was a lifer, like that I was going to be there forever. And it's such a narrative that's pushed with these 70 plus year old upline millionaires who are saying, "I wouldn't want to retire." Are you kidding me? I'm a millionaire. I could if I wanted to, but. What kind of a good person would I be if I didn't share this with everyone till I dropped dead or whatever? <laughs> so you're like, okay, I would actually be a therapist because I wouldn't have deferred my education. I would be actually setting my own schedule. I would be actually making a living wage. We'd be in a completely different situation. And I mean, you can look at it like there are no accidents. This is
0: the path that I'm on. <laughs> right. Well, you wouldn't be who you are with the knowledge you have now if you didn't proselytize for powdered vegetables for 10 years. (laughs) You just wouldn't. Yeah. You know, and people ask me all the time. They're like, if you could do it again, would you still join LuLaRoe? And like hindsight's 2020. Like I wouldn't ever want to be in another pyramid scheme, scam, cult thing ever again. But I also have to understand that the person I am today is somebody who I really like. Like I've it took a lot and I fully circled back around and like found myself again but I honestly think that like being in such a controlling situation and snapping was what caused me to wake up which was what caused you to wake up and you did it during the pandemic and other people followed suit in realizing that like what is all of like what is all of this for What are we doing all of this for? And how much of my life have I wasted on nothing? You know, and I'm sure there's people going like, oh, God, now I have to think about that like bit of existentialism. But I think it's a really interesting thing. I really like who you are. Do you think that if you had the ability to go back, you would still do it the same way?
1: Oh, that is I never have asked myself that question. That is a really good question. Man, I think I'm gonna have to like sit on that and like
0: you can ruminate yeah, on it. I might for sure. Like, you can make an Instagram post later about it, but it's something to think about. And everybody listening, think about it too. Like, I think I would do everything the same way. Yeah, I wouldn't have
1: met like some amazing people that right? I felt like I'm only talking about. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's because that's what you say. I met like I met my sisters, but it's true. But coming out for anyone who's still in, there really is an amazing MLM community out there. But it's not for any gains. That's the cool thing about it. Like, you know, if you're talking, making friends with somebody, you're actually making an actual connection because there's absolutely nothing to gain from it. So, those like friendships have been really cool and inspiring. And I've learned, I found the whole delving into cult psychology, one of the most fascinating things I've ever learned about. And so there's my thesis created for me
0: for school. Totally, There's my niche. Cults are that like really rotten onion that you just peel and peel and peel forever. Like I have not gotten sick of really diving into any of these things because the more that I dive in, The more I see myself and go, wait, where did that come from? Oh my gosh, is this where this is? And it's like unlocking things and memories and experiences that make me sort of have to confront them Mm -hmm. and work through them, which I think is really good, you know? Yeah. Hey, thanks, MLM. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) Because the MLM, what were you trying to heal actually with the cult or the MLM or whatever messy, toxic situation you got in? What was that? meant to heal, which obviously it didn't. And then there's your opportunity for a lot of good work yeah, on yourself with therapy, not with another cult.
0: (laughs) Now that you're out of this MLM, this powdered vegetable MLM, what are you doing now? You mentioned going back to school. Talk to us about that. Yes. When I was doing that business program, I also realized
1: hey you know i've got these coaching certifications that i don't actually feel amazing using and there's this school of thought that says that's just imposter syndrome but like (laughs) part of what i've learned in this whole thing is like really trusting your inner wisdom and when you're just being a critical thinker versus having stinking (laughs) thinking I think there's a reason why I didn't feel comfortable using those credentials is because I knew that I needed more and I knew that a lot of what people were coming to me with was some deeper stuff and I really wanted to actually help them. So part of my actual identity from the time I was a teenager, like my best friends remember I would get like psychology textbooks vintage like used ones I would find them and just read them for fun it was always something I was fascinated about so I decided hey let's actually go for the education and become a psychotherapist so that's what I started I loved it I loved it So I've never loved school more than I loved that experience. And then I deferred it for the MLM. So when I (laughs) woke up, I was like, oh, shit. I forgot I was supposed
0: to be a therapist. I'm not kidding you. (laughs) You woke up from the MLM fever dream and you were like, oh, I'm supposed to be a therapist. How long has it been? (laughs) It's
1: like I was in another dimension for a chapter of my life. But no, I, I really want to, and I did, I, so I got into year two, now I'm in my third year. Again, I'm loving it. I'm so incredibly grateful to have access to the learning, access to just my peers in school is really like actual, compassionate, cool people with fucking boundaries (laughs) because we have no boundaries in an MLM and there's all this enmeshment and oh, To actually learn like proper boundaries and how safe that makes a person feel is really invaluable. Yeah. How cool. So you're happy then? I'm going to take it. I am happy with, you know, every once in a while that get a little bit feisty. (laughs) There's
0: still more that has to come out of my system. Some more catharsis needed. Yeah. It takes time. Yeah. It just takes time. That's all. And it just trickles out slowly on its own time like molasses and it'll get out when it wants to get out and you're doing great you're processing you are taking courses you are asking and answering your own questions you're figuring it out you went back to school you're doing what you wanted to do the whole time and now you have life experience to be able to help people that have been in traumatic situations like you were in And you have a whole other extra, it was basically like a really expensive couple college courses of how to deal with trauma from the inside. (laughs) You Know what I mean? Yeah. And I think it, I see it when trauma survivors go into therapy spaces or go into advocacy spaces, it's such a wonderful thing because they have that extra added streak of I've been there. I know what it feels like and I wanna help somebody who's struggling the way that I did. And I think it's so beautiful. And it's not to put anybody who hasn't been in traumatic spaces that does this out because they're incredible as well. But I just think it adds a little extra when you're looking for a therapist maybe and you meet somebody that was in an mlm or was in a traumatic experience or a cult or something and you're like oh they get it they get me a little bit deeper than that other therapist i just think it's a really cool added bonus totally so there's a little silver lining from the mlm yeah when i first started going
1: back to therapy that was one thing i had to like decode a lot of language i would explain the structure I to, like i had to spend several sessions translating and describing and explaining it rather than processing so that she like got it because all she had
0: known about LMLMs was from
1: the TV show series where it was like a subplot line
0: (laughs) right oh people are like oh like Mary Kay you're like like Scientology I'm like yeah oh I didn't know you're like yeah (laughs) let's call it what it really is (laughs) For everybody who is enjoying this conversation, who is enjoying what you have to say, where can everybody find you on social media so they can follow along?
1: So I'm at Brandy Hadfield on Instagram, Brandy with an I-E, Hadfield with a D. And on Substack, you can just find me. That's where I'm kind of blogging and it's free. I don't have a paywall on it or anything like that.
0: And that's it. Perfect. I will throw all of those in the show notes so everybody can find them easy. And are you ready to do some rapid fire questions? Ooh, yes. It's like Freudian stream of consciousness. (laughs) A Freudian (laughs) stream of consciousness is way better (laughs) saying than rapid fire questions that aren't quite so rapid. I like that. (laughs) Brandy, give me one word to describe how you feel about MLMs. Disgust. (laughs) give me a warning to somebody who's listening and still thinks that joining an MLM might be a good idea for them. Okay. So many think that
1: you could just be on the periphery and you just love the product and you're just going to no big deals. Yeah, that's said a lot, but know that you are on a list and you are being strategically targeted and it's sometimes a slow burn, sometimes a slippery slope, sometimes nothing may happen. But you never know who you may then recruit, who may go all in and perpetuate an incredibly toxic system that is literally counting on most people to fail. So don't support them at all, not even a little bit. Agreed. What is the worst MLM in your opinion? The worst MLM, in my opinion. Oh, I don't know. I see all these like, Prove It and Octavia and all these like other weird, and I don't go down the rabbit hole of them. They all seem sketchy and gross. But I'm going to say Arbon. That's the one that I dislike the most passionately, I think.
0: I'll allow it. What is the hardest lesson that you learned while you were in your MLM? That
1: sometimes the supposed nice guy or gal can be unintentionally just following the leader. We'll never know if there was a knowing in the back of their minds. But oh, I don't know if this is really answering, but I think at some point you hit a crossroads and you have to decide, do the right thing. You've seen enough evidence or double down and do the right thing and align yourself with people who
0: would make that choice. Yeah. And then to end it, give me a positive takeaway from your time in MLM. Getting to meet you. (laughs) Oh my God, you're so sweet. (laughs) Well, that's a positive time for sure. I had such a blast talking to you. Absolutely love everything that you're doing and everything that you have to say. Definitely give Brandy a follow if you are wanting to learn more about the culty sides of MLM. And if you're listening to the show, then you definitely are into that topic. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and answering my silly questions. I really appreciate it. I had a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Life After MLM. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. And follow us on social media at Life After MLM Podcast or visit our website at lifeaftermlmpod.com. Life After MLM is produced by Roberta Blevins. Audio editing is done by the lovely Kayla Craven. Video editing by the indescribable RK Gold. And Michelle Carpenter is our Triple Emerald Princess of Robots. If you have a story about a cult, fraud, scam, or MLM and want to be on the show, please hit us up. We would love to help you tell your story and start your healing journey in life after MLM. See you next time, Hans.